All right, everybody, welcome to Learning the Tropes. I am your host, Erin. Today, I am joined by Adriana Herrera. Uh, she is a romance author, and the second book in her Los Leona series, An Island Princess Starts a Scandal, is out May 30th. And you can join us for the launch party um, on May 29th if you are in Brooklyn. I will have a link below to how to register for tickets, but it is a free event. So come on down. Um, hi, Adriana. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, it's good to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, I obviously you have like such a long uh, back catalog of books. And I went on your website to pull your um bio and it had all the books and I was like oh my god no I love that one I love that one but I am so deep <laughs> in an island princess starts a scandal like mentally and spiritually right now because I've been reading it for the past three days that I'm like I kind of just want to jump in because I adore this book Yay. so much yeah it's um why don't you tell uh the audience a little bit about sort of what it's about and then we can kind of like get into it Yes. Um, I'm so happy that you're liking it. I'm so oh, nervous yes. about this book. Um, so uh, it's the second book in Las Leonas series, which is a historical romance series set in the 1889 Universal Exposition in Paris. And Island Princess Starts a Scandal is Manuela's story who those who read era Caribbean heiress, a Caribbean heiress in Paris met and Manuela's an artist she's engaged to a man she doesn't love but needs to marry because her parents are in like a seriously bad financial situation and she feels it's her duty to help them and it just so happens that she's in Paris and she wants to kind of live out her last hurrah her last summer of freedom and she meets this makes a deal with this duchess who wants a piece of land she owns. And the deal is that Manuel, she'll show Manuela lesbian Paris because Manuela is a lesbian and she kind of just wants to soak up these last like memories of exploits before she kind of just like goes and becomes trapped in this marriage that she doesn't want. So it's basically the story of a very uptight duchess <laughs> who needs some land and an heiress who has the land and is using it to extort the Duchess and just showing her a really good time. Amazing. <laughs> and I love Manuela so much because I feel like she is not a heroine that we've ever seen before. Or I have it in sort of my romance reading. Mm -hmm. And we did a panel together a few months ago all about romance heroines so I feel like we've chatted a lot about heroines but we're gonna keep chatting about them because there's so much to say um and I love her so much because um she is going she she has such a brightness to her and and this going after what she wants which is to experience love and life and she thinks that she can smash it all into six weeks before mm -hmm. she then like basically she talks about it as a death sentence or people refer to it as a death sentence for her. Um, but also she's like materialistic. And I feel like as a vibrant Leo, we're not represented enough. <laughs> you too. I'm oh, August 10th. <laughs> like I am literally like a poster child for Leo. <laughs> Amazing. I'm July 24th. And I feel like so many heroines, whenever they're presented with like beautiful things, they're like, no, I could never, I don't deserve it. And Manuela is like, yeah, this is mine. I, yeah, I should be looking good. And I, it's such a small part of her personality, but it's, it's such a specific thing that like made me, fall like even a little bit deeper in love with her um just the way that she acts and I'd love to know sort of as you're conceptualizing this book do you first because it is obviously part of a trio part of a yeah a trio of mm -hmm. three books um did she come around first did the idea of the story come around first were you sort of like who can I place into this specific time period sort of like how did she incarnate for you yeah, so definitely like those three, like the three Leonas, Luzalana, Manuela, and Aurora were like the first kind of like characters. So I knew what, what each of them did. And I mean, I, I thought about this series like thematically. So I knew that like the first book 
I thought about it thematically connected to what was happening in the Universal Exposition, like the things that different countries came to exhibit and like the kinds of business that was happening at the exposition. And so I knew that like one was going to be like kind of business and like specifically distilling, which rum distilling obviously is like a big piece of like the history of like where I'm from, Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. And then I knew there were a lot of international artists at the the Universal Exposition. So it it would have been like an easy way to kind of like get, like have an artist, like one of them be artists. And then I could talk, talk about kind of like the Latin American artists present. So with her, like I knew Manuela was going to be an artist. I also had done a ton of research and had to find out like that at that time specifically in Paris, there was this like art academy that had like a bunch of lesbians in it and a lot of them were like coupled off (laughs) so I was like okay so this is perfect like I have like an artist and I like she would be there presenting her art and then you know she would like kind of like be involved with this community of like lesbian artists that are like in Paris and like I have a ton of like information about it so she was like fully formed for me in a sense like I knew exactly the kind of um character I wanted to do with her and in terms of like the the money like the like the heiress that's like in dire straits it's like a very tried and true archetype in like historical romance it's something that like happens a lot like she's her family's in financial trouble she needs to marry mm-hmm. to save the family like that's something like if you've been reading historical romance for as long as we have like you've read many iterations of that kind of heroine but I feel I didn't want her to be a martyr like I wanted to be like I wanted both these heroines to be practical, to be really practical people. Because I think when you're like a person that's queer, when you're a person that's really trying to travel the world and like make it work for you when it's really not built for you, you learn how to be practical. And so with Manuela, like I, I was like, she's gonna be sacrificing herself, but also she's like, well, he is gonna buy me nice things. Like it's like I'm gonna be sad about like in a great dresses, and I'm gonna be sad about like. <laughs> shellacked and diamonds <laughs> so i i wanted to kind of ha- be her and in a way and a little cynical right like a little jaded in terms of like this is like what i have like these are my options so i might as well make the best of it and manuela and i think like latin people are like that like we kind of just like make the best of a of like a bad situation so that was kind of like my my thought process with her and that's how she came to me with cora i kind of like I was like, should I do another artist or should I, like, I, I, I was kind of like finding different um, types of archetypes, but I thought like, uh, then I went like, why don't I do like a more likable Sheryl Sandberg, which is what I ended up with um, for Cora. Explore <laughs> 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 this like, like, dismantling the patriarchy by like infiltrating it, which always sounds like a great idea when you start and then you realize that you're just like a pawn in the patriarchy's game. So I really wanted to like explore a character that was kind of like trapped in a situation like that with Cora. Cora, Yeah, Cora is also such a fantastic heroine and also unlike, Mm -hmm. I think, a heroine that we've ever seen before. And I love that, you know, she had this husband and it seems like they had kind of a marriage in name only because he wanted a mother for his son who she genuinely fell in love with and and does uh, think of as a son. Um, But I do love how Cora, um, even though she's into business, she she does have that Sheryl Sandberg blind spot, which is so interesting because I would not have picked that. But she does have that sort of like, I want, I'll be a part of this and therefore dismantle it. And obviously, like the patriarchy is so much bigger than one person's ability to 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 dismantle it. Uh, But um, I liked that having that. foible about her having that bit about her that was like that sort of blind spot that Manuela could see yeah like I mean I I I don't I, at some point with my editor I was like I don't know how many times I can like sneak in the lean in to this book <laughs> until people realize what I was trying to do well, I like Jen I didn't yeah I gotta keep listening <laughs> so um I'm just like I don't think people are gonna notice I don't think people are gonna notice it but um yeah like I feel like part of what I was trying to kind of like get at was that there, there's so many ways in which like patriarchy can trick us, right? And I think that like so, 
these are two women that were operating out of like survival and like fear, right? Like Manuela's fear was like being destitute and like she was willing to like lie to herself so, so long and so much in terms of like, I can be happy with this like really bad situation that I'm putting myself in. And Cora lied to herself by saying like, if I get enough power, if I, you know, barter and, and like leverage my influence and like, make these deals with these men and like make them rich and make them find me useful for their gain, then they will, that's my protection. And Mm -hmm. so like, they're coming from these, like, and so many of us, like, right. Like for women, like so much of like our decision-making in this world that we have to live in is about our safety. Mm -hmm. And so like, there really were both trying to just be safe and like going about it in ways that were not, that like full of blind spots and like full of like, you know, lying to themselves, like this is going to be okay. Because that's what you do when you're trying to survive. Like you tell yourself like, this is okay. So I I really wanted to like make their situation, like make them like relatable and like that they were both kind of like in the same kind of situation in terms of like the traps that the patriarchy puts, puts us in and that they had to like, open their eyes to the fact that like there were uh, like there were other options it's just that like you would have to stop playing in the like the games of the patriarchy right so like and they had a lot of privilege like they had money so they could like opt out of that world and still be okay so yeah Right. And and there is one heartbreaking and I don't think this is giving away like a a plot point or anything, but there is this like heartbreaking story that Cora tells about she made all these men very rich in this deal and went to this gentleman's club to celebrate and they made her like go in basically through the back door of the kitchens because she was a woman. And just like that humiliation stuck with me and that kind of disrespect for her. Her solution to that is so like does it make any sense but it is what you would think i think it is like a first draft solution you know and i think yeah. um but yeah it it was really interesting to i loved her for that yeah i mean i think it's like one of those things where she she was so caught up in one upping these men that she like wasn't even logical anymore. She wasn't right. even rational. And so I think, and then that's what like Manuela is like kind of trying to like figure out. And like, that's when she kind of sees like this woman is like also like in this situation where she kind of like is trapped in. So, I mean, I, I feel like with those two, that like I just wanted to unpack all the different ways and like women's stories can like be like parallel but so different and so mm-hmm. that was one thing but I mean I, and again like with them like I feel like one of the, my favorite things about that like Manuela and Cora is that they're just so different and like and yet like they're so perfect for each other like and and I love like a trope of kind of like chaotic manic like pixie girl and then like uptight person who just can't like manage them and it's like constantly being like derailed and so like that was basically (laughs) like Manuela and Cora where like Cora thinks she has a plan everything's settled and then Manuela just goes off in another direction and that's like their foreplay oh yeah and speaking of tropes, <laughs> I love a ticking clock trope. And you get this in this book where it's like, we'll only do this and we'll keep our feelings out of it for this long. So I think in this case, it's six weeks. But it's always like, I bet you will. <laughs> um, I love that yeah. trope too. Yeah, it's so good. Um, and yeah, so and for this story in particular, or, or the, the series, you know, it's 1899. Like you mentioned, there's all of the books kind of are overlapping happening at the same time, which also is like something I love. It's so fun. It's like puzzle pieces. Um, But 
how did you come up, you know, we talked a little bit about like how you came up with Manuel and Cora, but how did you come up with like the idea for the series and having it rooted so specifically to a place and so specifically to a time, like one specific summer? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tricky with when you are like creating worlds that are just people of color. Like one of the things that I really wanted to do with this series is that it was like centering, like the cast of characters were going to be not not white characters like I think each book has like a couple but like the the world itself and the community is most like people of color so <clears throat> I wanted to set it in Europe because at least for this one I felt like I could do some fun stuff and things that were going to be more familiar to the reader but I also like knew that London was going to be tricky what inspired the series was basically research I was doing when I was going on a trip with my family to Paris. Like I had been toying with the idea of writing a historical romance series. And I just like stumbled upon this article talking about the Dominican Republic being at the 1889 World's Fair in Paris and it being really scandalous because um King Leopold of Belgium snubbed our pavilion at the exposition because our president <laughs> had borrowed money from Belgium and not paid it back. So we got the cut. And now we know King Leopold was a right bastard. And <laughs> yes, we're fine exactly. With it. Fuck exactly. That guy. I'm like, glass houses should not be throwing <laughs> stones about stealing. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> but, anyways, I thought that was like fascinating and hilarious. So then. I started doing more research and ended up finding all this information about that World's Fair, which I didn't realize was the fair that like where the Eiffel Tower was un unveiled and it was like the mm -hmm. anniversary of the centennial of the, the centennial of the revolution. And so it was like a big deal. And the French, you know, had promised that it was going to be like the greatest like event in human history. And in, in a lot of ways it was. It was like 32 million people came to Paris that year for the exhibition including these 13 Latin countries. And there was like thousands of Latin presenters there. So I just thought like, this is a perfect setting for me to kind of come up with something fun, like a girl's trip or, or like, you know, Latina friends that are there kind of like for specific reasons um, for the, that are connected to the exposition, but also kind of like, to find love. So that was kind of the inspiration. It was just like a perfect setting. Paris is a place I know well. So I felt like I could capture like the vibe of being in Paris and specifically when you're there for like a short amount of time and you kind of can like be a little wild. <clears throat> so, so that was, that was why. And, and also like having, knowing that Paris was one of the few places in Europe and it was for many years after that, that really could be a refuge for people of color and for artists mm -hmm. and for queer people like Paris has always been a place where like people like that land. So yeah. So that was kind of like the, the spark for the series. I love that. And I think that's the, the fun part about research is you <laughs> find all these kind of pockets where like, Oh, how, you know, for you, it's like, how could I set, you know, uh, Latin American people in Paris? And you're like, Oh, well there was, thousands of them there at this time yeah. like this it makes sense at all tracks yeah um you hinted that you in the research had found a lot of lesbians i'd love oh. to hear a little bit more about you know if there's anyone in particular you found that you're particularly like enamored with or just like yeah i'd love to know a little bit more about that research too I mean, what, what was really fascinating to me, I mean, there were like a few pers like personalities that were interesting. And, but what was more fascinating to me was that that specific period of time, like the Belle Epoque, which is kind of like um, late Victorian, Edwardian, Edwardian era for people that are like more in the England set historical. So it's like the last 20 years of, the 19th century and like before the first world war it's kind of like the mm -hmm. Belle Epoque. so during that time th there was just like a surge of establishments that catered specifically to women looking to find 
romantic attachments to other women. And it started in Montmartre. I talk about it a little bit in my author's notes. So it started basically as boarding houses, like former courtesans, former madams would set up these boarding houses that offered like a prefix meal, like an evening meal, you would pay like a certain amount of money and it was three courses and it was only for women and you can come and meet other women. In the beginning, it was a lot of sex workers, but then it kind of grew and it became like this hub of like mixed class of just like lesbians. So it wasn't criminalized, like it wasn't illegal for women to have sex with women. Like homosexuality in general was not like criminalized at that at that time. So it just like really became pretty public um, that women could kind of like come to these bars and like kiss and dance together. So that to me was fascinating because I didn't, I never really knew that like queer life for women was as public. Like, of course, like you read a lot here in New York City where we live that there were like a lot of like speakeasies and things like that in Harlem and like in the Lower East Side where like women or like there were gay bars, lesbian bars, but it was very secretive, right? Like there was always something that you thought it was part of like an underground world. But I just found it really fascinating. A, that of course, like the first lesbian bars were basically like a three course meal, which is like so great. And so, like, <clears throat> lesbian, and, you know, we were talking kind of about Cora's up against the patriarchy. And I do love that, like, she does have these inroads to this world where it's like, no, just create an entirely new society. Just, yes. like, do that, which is kind of what the women in Momotra were doing at the time. Yes, like, just a great meal. It's like, I think there's, like, one point in the book where they're at one of the lesbian bars and Aurora, who's not a lesbian, but it's, like, loves, like, to be around other women. It's, like, this is heaven, like great chicken and like nothing but women. <laughs> like I never knew life could be this good. And so like, <clears throat> I think like that to me was one thing that I found fascinating. And also like just um, like there's this woman, Rose Bonheur, who was like a very famous artist at the time. She was um, a naturalist like she was famous for like her animals like her depictions of like very large animals so she was like a free woman so she wore trousers and she like smoked in public and she openly lived with like her American lover um, and like at that world's fair she like famously drew a painting of um, the Buffalo Bill and like mm -hmm. sitting on his like horse that is like I think that's actually at the Met um, and so like, she was one of those that was really fascinating just because she was openly a lesbian and also like one of like the most well-regarded like naturalists at the time. And like that duality of being able to like be a woman and be famous for your art and also like openly live with another woman to me was something that I really, I mean, I, I knew like it must have happened, but I like just seeing like all these like different articles about just like how vibrant lesbian life was in Paris at that time was like a real revelation to me because it, it just like couches like this like this sense that like we've been able to build spaces for ourselves in like really like solid ways not just like oh my god like you know like we have to like be blindfolded like it, it wasn't even like it wasn't hidden it was very mm -hmm. much like out in the open so that was really interesting information i mean there's like a million other examples that i can give like john singer Sargent, which i'm like obsessed with was also like a big part of that scene and like like he was like just so bisexual so like <laughs> like to just kind of think of all these different like americans and europeans and latins just kind of like mixing in this like queer world to me was like just great to read and I think it really, you know, because I've loved history my whole life. Um, and I think the thing about history that people don't understand or kind of why also not to be a downer, but like it's it's hard to not kind of acknowledge what's happening in this country now, especially in queer spaces and with people of color, um, is how it's not 
just a march forward. Like there were these spaces that existed and then they got taken. And I, I don't know a ton about the, the specific history in Paris, but it's like in a general sense that, and then they're taken away and then mm -hmm. you find it. And that's why like the fighting for rights or the fighting to keep these spaces for these, for these people is so important. It is a continuous thing that you have to always be aware of because then, you know, it gets pulled back just as quickly. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, yeah. it is true. And I mean, I think that's the, one of the really great things about what historical romance is still doing. I feel like like we've been in a space specifically in the romance genre for the last few years where people just want something like that's a real soft landing. And and of course, like, that's great. I feel like we've been through it. So like, I totally get the need for that. Right. But I feel like historical romance because like those fights for like basic human rights and agency and autonomy specifically for women feel so urgent and feel so organic to the time and place like I feel like right now reading a book about like all these like horrible things that are happening right now in like in our time might feel overwhelming but to read it about like set in like 1889 and like adorned with like carriages super hot scots or like a super like stone cold foxy duchess like <laughs> and like the trappings of like the things we love about a historical like you can navigate and like really like become invested in these like really urgent that are literally the same fights that we're fighting right now right and so i think like that's why i would i would love to see a historical romance be more popular with the new readership that's coming up now because I feel like it's so relevant. It's so timely. So many of the, I mean, so many of us are really trying to be sensible to the moment, like really kind of like reflect the moment. And I think it like, like historical romance just lends itself to have like those vigorous conversations about like the fight for rights and like, like maintaining like the autonomy and safety of these spaces. Like I think at one point, like Aurora actually says it, like I want us to have safe spaces. And so like mm -hmm. that is something that, I mean, like I think historical romance still is doing a lot. Like a lot of us out here in this historical Roman streets are really kind of like delivering on that delicious, sexy romance and also kind of like, grappling with all these different things that are happening in the world right now and happened 150 years ago yeah and before that and before yeah. that and I think um yeah and the, I historical romance it's no secret is my space in romance it's where I love to be it's where I go you know most often because of exactly what you're saying where I feel like historical romance in a way that I don't even know that contemporary necessarily does, but it is such a reflection of the time and the space and the conversations that are happening amongst women. And obviously not just women write romance and not just women consume romance, but overwhelmingly that tends to be the case. And so, um, yeah, those light fluffy stories during the last administration, like that was what, that was what we could handle emotionally. Right. But I do think now, you know, um, I know Sarah McLean's series yes. that she has is dealing with tough subjects. This is dealing with tough subjects and not that it feels like overwhelming in this book. Like this book is a joy to read and it has been the, like my book when I am in a meeting and I'm the first one in a meeting, I'm just like looking down and reading <laughs> until somebody else pops up on my screen. It's like those stolen moments books. So I don't want to give the impression that this is like a heavy tome because it does, while it does deal with these subjects in a really interesting and fascinating way, it is a, just a, a fun read. Um, I don't know. I feel like I've gone a little bit off track, but to say ex echo exactly what you're saying, where I feel like now this is the discussion and this is where we need to start moving as a society is to really examining our rights, where we got them, how we fought for them in the past and how we can fight for them in the future. And so that's another reason why I think this book is so, is so fantastic because them wanting this, these spaces comes out of joy, a celebration of their creativity, a celebration of their love. And that's, why they want this space and nothing else, you know? 
Yeah, and I mean, I was very intentional of not making this book about them securing their queer rights, right? Like it was mm -hmm. like an established, like they were already in this like vibrant space. And it was like these two women kind of like trying to secure their own happiness. But like when you are a person of color, when you're an immigrant, when you're a queer person, like you need a community. And so yes. like, it's so much about like them finding their people and each other. And like, I feel like that's like the beauty of historical romance. I, I always say that like historical romance is like the Broadway of romance. Like everything can be like a little shinier. Like it's the <laughs> same as romance where there's like a lot of sequence and like people will break into song in like the middle of a, of a sentence. And so like, yeah. Like I can do, like I can examine all these things and also like have a meet cute where like they meet at a brothel and like she's like standing on top of a sideboard and like kind of topples to the ground and lands oh, on so the other gut. So, <laughs> so like all of like, you know, sexiness in a carriage. Like that's, I think, again, what's sort of what you can with in terms of fun and it just feels organic that you need to bring up like these like struggles because mm -hmm. at that time they were just so urgent. I mean, they're real urgent now, but like, I feel like we're just like, there's more bandwidth to handle those in a setting that's like the past. Yeah. Pat just came home and now he's like sneaky ground. <laughs> um yeah no exactly and um oh I completely dropped it. oh well that's something else that I think is so important that I love to put in here is because like I've never met a bisexual woman or a lesbian where she travels as a lone wolf you know yes. what I mean it's like like you said there's community constantly and when you meet Cora, she has this community that's like very vibrant and these friends who really love her and take care of her. And um, I thought that was so important too, because I feel like a lot of times in culture, when you do have a, see a queer character like on TV in a, uh, or on, in a film, it's like they're solo. And I'm like, that's just not reality ever. It's not really like two false for these two women because they're both Latinas. Like Cora mm -hmm. has been living in Britain or like Paris, Britain and then Paris for like most of her life, but she is from Chile. She's Ch like mm -hmm. Chilean. And mm -hmm. Manuela's like Latin. Like Latin people are not lone wolves. Like Latin people <laughs> usually have like a community or, or like family you can't get away from. But like, that was another point that I wanted to also make for them, like the parallel of Manuela having these friends that were her support system and she loved, but who are not queer. Yeah. And, and like her finding this queer community through Cora. And I mean, I, I, I knew that was something that I wanted to do with Manuela's character, like have her be in a place where she's like convinced herself that she's okay to live a life where she has, she can like pretend that she's not, who she is. And then, and, and then thinking I can never like be out and open and be an artist and like be okay. Mm -hmm. And then she meets Cora and then Cora kind of opens this world up to her where there's like a queer community and a community of women that ha have to have made, have made the choices that like Manuela has in front of them and have like been able to like, make a life for themselves. So I think like, just again, like to me, it was very important to like present hopeful and like positive stories, not like stories of like how much people were struggling if they were queer. Like, I mean, I, of course there's like a space for that, but like, that's not what I was trying to do here. And mm -hmm. I think that was like a real big, like big part of their story as as a couple, but also as queer women, like Cora really brought like Manuela into a queer community and that like made all the difference for her. Yeah. I mean, there's a moment, I think Ben Manuela first meets um, Cassandra and Frederica and, and she's like, oh, I just didn't realize that this was a possibility. Yeah. And I feel like that is an experience um, I mean, I'm not queer myself, but you know, obviously I have queer friends and that they do talk about that. There is this like moment of crystallization where like, oh, this is a, a way that is possible. Mm -hmm. That is so important too. 
Yes. So, yes. Yeah. I mean, like, I think for all of us that are queer, like that first moment when you go to like a gay bar or like a lesbian bar and like you're just in this space where like everybody is like doing the things that you thought you could never do mm-hmm. in the open. And it's just like really transformational. It's really like healing. It's like a moment of real healing. And I really want it like to give that to to Manuela and like us like see her like just like letting herself see that possibility and yeah I hope it comes through because I, I I wanted to really make it about like this is the life that was possible for her and for them and in reality it really was for a lot of women yeah. at that time definitely and also I do love that it's a series where you know the first book of the series is a heterosexual couple and the second is a gay couple. And then I, the, the, I mean, is you're hinted pretty uh, severely at who the third couple, who Aurora ends up with, but can we say it or? Yes. The next book okay. is, um, yeah, it's definitely <laughs> a pollen order. I feel like people will literally pick it. A rural riot will flip tables if I don't. No, no, that- no. In in the first. Those book, little scenes, I was like salivating for it. I was, I'm very ready. <laughs> Yes, I feel like in the first book I hinted and like in this book it's pretty clear that like Mm -hmm. those two are like working up to something pretty intense and so yes so the third book is Apollo and Aurora who I like Apollo is like a character that has like revealed himself to me in like a really interesting way when I sold this series Apollo didn't exist Mm -hmm. he didn't exist in the first draft of the book I rewrote the first book and then Apollo just appeared and he has become like probably one of my favorite characters that I've written. And so I feel like Apollo is so his own person that I feel like he's gotta be gay. (laughs) Like he's gotta (laughs) be bi. Um, So like, I think like it would like, I always try to like have like, like give my characters like that, like, like bisexual, representation is important to me for obvious reasons so i i i imagine like i would like i think apollo is a character that feels like that to me but yes like i I like that was one of the things that even from my first series i really wanted to be intentional about that i wanted to have even in the same series like different types of couples i think like as romance readers we tend to like pigeonhole ourselves and like this is what i read Mm-hmm. And and I and I've I've been reading romance for a very long time, and I've always benefited of trying other things and discovered new things that I love, and and I think even with my books, like there are certain readers that are like, I, this is the first sapphic romance that I've read, and it's because I've read your other books and I really like your stuff, so I thought I'd try it and I loved it. And I'm like, yeah, because they're hot, and so like I think for me it's important for my books to reflect the world that I live in, whether it's gender expression or Mm -hmm. sexuality or ethnicity and all of that. So yes, like I like to mix it up and it was important to me for me to have like a lesbian couple in this one. Yeah. And I think it's more representative of just like friend groups because Mm -hmm. that just kind of happens naturally. Not everybody. uh, Yeah. Ends up, the exact same so yeah yeah absolutely i loved it um i'm so excited to hear about apollo and aurora loving this yeah. <laughs> um and yeah so i put together like a little game i'm trying this out at the end of my author interviews okay that's kind of like a this or that and okay. because this is a book with two heroines and yes. we have our, our history already of heroines. It's a this or that for heroin archetypes. Okay. And so you have to pick one. And then if you can suggest a novel that has the archetype that you chose, whether it's yours or somebody else's, I think that's like bonus points. Although okay. we're not really counting points. Um, so type A or hot mess. Oh, I love a type A archetype, <laughs> hot mess. It's got to be from a, a car- uh, author that I really, really trust. Because hot messes can really annoy me. But type A can be real hot. Yes. 
I agree. Because I feel like we really like OD'd on tight on hot messes in the 90s with all of our rom-coms. And I just don't need to see another woman humiliate herself by having yes. coffee porn on her. Yes. Um, and I can get, I mean, I can give many examples, but one type A heroine that I love is Millie from Ravishing the Heiress by Sherry mm. Thomas. It's the second book in the Fix You trilogy. And she is a perfect example of a type A heroine. Actually, the sec the third book in that series is also a great example of a type <laughs> A heroine. And that's one of my favorite books of her. It's Beguiling the Beauty. No, Beguiling the Bride. It's the one where there's an oh. amnesia story and he writes erotica. It's great. I can see the cover. Yes, I think it's Beguiling. No, Beguiling the Beauty is the first one. If I go into Sherry Thomas, we'll be here all day. It's the <laughs> third book in the Fitzhugh trilogy. She's mm -hmm. it's for a great type of heroine. She owns a publishing, a small publisher, and he secretly writes erotica, and she doesn't know it. She hates his guts. There's amnesia. He's a single dad. It's amazing. Sold. Um, I'm just realizing that I didn't finish the Fitzhugh trilogy, and... I will be now. That third book is so great. Um, I mean, Ravaging the Heiress is perfection. There's not a single wrong. No word. notes. No notes. No notes. Uh, Grumpy or Sunshine. I like the combo. Like to me, mm -hmm. the grumpy son. Although I like a grumpy grumpy. If I'm gonna have two of the same kind, it will be grumpy <laughs> grumpy. But I do love like the grumpy sunshine like tip for tat like i feel like that is some of the best banter that you can get in a romance novel mm -hmm. um but if i have to pick up a grumpy i agree because the thing is when a grumpy falls they're annihilated like grumpies oh, yes. and like a sunshine i'm like oh i could see her like a sunshine heroine falling in love with a lot of people but a grumpy heroine to crack that shell that's what i want to read I, if this is not a historical, but I am reading it, rereading it for the 15th time right now. Um, and it is Match Me If You Can by Susan and Elizabeth Phillips. And it's a little, you know, dated, like it's of a time. So there are things Susan that. Susan Phillips is so of a time, but in so bonkers, you just have to strap in when you start her books. You have to strap in when you read her books. They, I think she's like truly one of the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And so Matchmaker Can is from the Chicago Star series, and she's the matchmaker, and he's like the most cutthroat sports agent in the business. And he's hired her to like find him, you know, his match. And of course, they end up falling in love. But he calls her Tinkerbell, and his <laughs> nick. His nickname is The Python. So <laughs> it's great. I'm just like literally listening to it right now. And I've listened to it like a million times. So that one would be my recommendation for a great grumpy soundtrack. Oh, yeah. For a grumpy heroine, I love The Widow of Rose. Hill oh, House? yes. Rose Widow of Rose. Uh, Diana Bell. Diana, yeah. That's a good one. That's a, uh, it's so good. It's, not, it's really like spooky and atm atmospheric for Halloween time. Because there's that's, a ghost element. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, that's a great one. And also, that's one of, like, probably the better, run, like, the best um, hot mess heroes that I've read. Oh, yeah. He is so adorable. He is a mess. He's a him. mess. But he was really, I like that book a lot, actually. Let's let's say that one for our historical <laughs> round of sunshine choice. Um, a governess or an heiress? So I guess a working woman or an heiress. Also, a lot of these have been supplied by my Facebook group, The Learning the Trope Troop, who I'm very help happy because as I've been solo on this podcast, they've really stepped it up helping me with brainstorming. So love uh, them all. I do I do love a good governess story. I mean, I love an heiress mm -hmm. too, but I feel like, again, like with the heiress, like it's got to have like a little bit of a twist. But there's so many good governess ones that I feel it's just like easier to pick one. Which one is, is it the governess game? 
the one where they do the funeral for the dolls by Tessa Dare. Oh my God, yes. That's a great one. That's my recommendation for the governess archetype because oh. that book that those scenes of her of him throwing a funeral for the dolls of the little kids that his little guardianship kids stewards are to me like truly some of the best things that i've read in a romance i'm trying to think there's one there's one and it's called like eden something about eden i'm like blanking but it, she goes to australia and he has this ranch in the middle of nowhere mm. and she's taking care of a ch- her like her child has died on the way there she was in a prison ship and then his wife had just passed away and so she starts raising the child it's so dramatic it's so oh my god that sounds amazing though it's so good it's called knights of eden or something like that i remember i found it and it it's not available on kindle guys i'll link it below if i can remember it um send me the send the link yes i will 100% but it's so good um spinster or debutante 100% spinster and i have yeah. a perfect recommendation because it's actually probably my top 10 all time favorite i just it to and it's called wilderness Donati. Mm-hmm. It is not a very popular series, which I am always very sad about. It's it's older. It came out in '99. Wait, Into the Wilderness? Yes, Into the and Wilderness. it's the last of the Mohicans universe. Yes, well, Girl, not the last this of the Mohicans. The bo- it's yeah, not but the, the movie, the setting. Yes, the setting. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. but it's like his. It's like Hawkeye's son. Cora's gone. Yeah, this was my intro to romance. I read that book and I was like, "Where can I get more like this?" And I'm actually so reading good. that series right now. It's five or six books, and it's honestly one of my favorite series. And not a lot of people talk about it because it's older and it's long, yeah. and the history is heavy. Like it's yes. really heavy history. And yes, oh my god, I literally just read it like two weeks ago. And the series is just the two of them. It's not like different couples every book. It's like them, then they go to Scotland, and their twins are stolen. Yes. Then, like by the fourth book, it's like their daughter Hannah. Yeah. It's like his child from like a previous marriage. But like the first three books is just like the two of them, and then it's like their kids. But that first book is actually perfect. Yeah, agreed. She's like a teacher. She's a spinster, a teacher, like has been like, was like born again all the time, y'all. Like it was (laughs) 99. So there are things that are like, although it holds up pretty well because it's, it's very like, it's like very much like talk. I think that book actually is not as popular as it could be because she's pretty tough on like slavery like mm-hmm. she's like pretty strident on like feminism, women's rights, like like the treatment of the indigenous people. Like she goes really hard on those sub like topics, and I think you know people just are, have a hard time handling that because. So I am like obsessed with Sarah Donati, and actually she has a great series it's set in the Gilded Age. One's called like the Gilded Hour, and. When the light comes where the light in. expires, which is what I'm looking at right now on my bookshelf, I can't believe that we're both Sarah Donati fans, and I can't wait to really dig in with you. Obsessed with her, <laughs> and so like I cannot express how obsessed I am, and I and I really like I I hope that in 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 my treatment of history, something about how much a fan of her I am comes through in my books. But so what I love about her books is how history heavy they are. Yeah, but anyway, um. I don't even know what I'm saying. Like, Sarah's not in my favorite. I know. Okay, was, so oh, it was Spinster. Or, or, yeah, Spinster Debutante. She's really good friends with Diana Gavaldon. And Jamie, I see it. And, Jamie and Claire make a cameo in the series in one of the later books. Okay. Because Claire I, yeah. and, and um, is it Sarah? I think her name's Sarah. He calls her Boots. But like, the the heroine from the, uh, Elizabeth is her name. Elizabeth yeah. and Claire are friends. So yeah, I freaking love that series, Spinster Into the Wilderness by Sardonati. Like a million pages long, but it's so good. 
It is so good. It's so dense with it. Like if you love history and you love romance, you got to. It's so good. It's but it's yeah. I I think I read up to book three maybe, and then I kind of fell off. But I have her books that are set in the Gilded Age that I'm I'm gonna touch down on. So good. Actually, that first book, The Gilded Hour was really kind of what like really inspired Aurora's character because she's a okay. doctor and she's like it's two two cousins and one's biracial one's white and they're like both doctors in New York City like in the 1860s there's an Italian cop who's a love interest it's so great <clears throat> I am so happy that I have found a Serenati fan because I have been alone in the Serenati <laughs> fan club for so long. I feel long. like she's so like not <clears throat> talked about in romance that I was almost like, I guess she's not romance. Is she just like kind of historical fiction with like romantic elements? But no, like they are romances. I rebuke that. Yeah. Nathaniel and Elizabeth are an epic romance. An epic romance. Oh Which she doesn't tell him that she's having twins because she's like, I know it went bad last time. And when she like, I, I don't want to spoil her, but there's something bad, bad that happens that she does. And she has to like run through the literal wilderness by herself to save his life. She saves his life so many times. He saves her life so many times. Something happens in every chapter of that book. It's 30 hour audiobook. I listen to it in three days. Oh, yeah. No. And he builds her the school. We love a supportive husband. The <laughs> best. The best. Oh, my God. This game was worth it just to discover this about you. Um, fashionista or blue stocking? I think we both are going to be the same on that. Blue stocking all the way. Blue stocking? I like a fashionista. I mean, blue stocking in sensibilities. Yes, but... that's true. I do like a pretty dress. I do like my girls to dress well. Yes. I feel like a, a fashionista who's like secretly like a, like running like an anarchist like salon. It's like my my jam. Could you write it? Because I think you could. I think oh, I definitely great. could. Yeah. Yes. Um, wallflower, life of the party. I'm a Leo, so life of the party. I know, me too. Because yeah. I think, I mean, I do love a wallflower story, but there is, I, I don't think there's enough representation for extroverts. And I, I want more extrovert representation in books. And it's a testament to the skill and mastery that Lisa Kleypas has over the mm -hmm. historical romance genre that some of my favorite books are her books about wallflowers when i literally i'm like an about hater of wallflowers the wallflowers series is perfection <laughs> i love it so much no notes it's so good i mean uh, there's some consent issues in one of the books that you know of a time of a time of a time we don't but... condone it but it it, it happened but yeah St. Vincent, come on. Yeah. And come I guess on. also Sarah in um, Dreaming of You would be a wallflower. Not, no, because she, she runs into that brothel. She's making friends with people. Sarah's an extrovert. She's an extrovert, but like she has, um, I just actually read, I've been doing a lot of rereading lately. Um, I've read, I have not read, so no, Sophie, no, Lady Sophie's lover. She's, she's, she's not a, an introvert. But um, in the Ravenels, the um, chasing Cassandra, she's kind of an, a wallflower. She is, yeah. So, and I like that book a lot. I like that hero a lot. Anyway, mm -hmm. Lisa Kleypas is a genius. All of the wallflowers are amazing, but I also love the life of a party heroine. You know who's a great Cecily from Bombshell. Mm. great life of a party heroine i would party oh hard with cecily all of those girls yes. all of the hills bells would be an epic night out oh my god like they Adelaide. are good girls to go out drinking with like you you're having fun and you're getting home at dawn oh yeah and like you've broken you the law at least twice <laughs> they've signed they've gotten you into a scheme you're having fun you're not noticing what's happening yeah You've I would like committed it. a felony and not even knew it. <laughs> um, and then the last one. So a virgin widow or an experienced miss. I so I, this is one of the one of my love hate relationships with historical romance. I don't love an ingenue. 
I can read one and enjoy one if I love the author. Like, for example, Lisa Kleypas loves writing an ingenue and she like does it so well that I'm into right. it. But my preference is definitely like a lady that like knows what she's doing. Or like is at least coming into the situation like determined to have a good time. Like Manuela. But I think like yeah, the Virgin Widow is an epidemic in historicals that I'm just like, we cannot, we cannot, because virginity is not a prize and it is a co social construct. It doesn't actually exist. And like, it's always this like convoluted reason why she's still a virgin. It's like, no, just let her, like they had sex and it's I know, fine. Like, it, yes, it's, 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 it's not my favorite trope. Like I, I like virginity for me as like a, to, a plot device has always been like a real struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, so a fun fact about the third book, like in my research, I discovered because like Manuel, uh, Aurora is like Dominican, like her, she was born in the DR most of her life. She lived in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And so she practices medicine in Mexico and her nemesis is a real, as a guy I discovered during my research, he was a real doctor in like the late 1800s in Mexico, and he wrote a book about the hymen. Yeah, <laughs> that he was that he he came to the ex Universal Exposition to like present his findings about the hymen, and yeah. his like psychic was a guy that was like had done all this research about how like contraception is like what like debilitates like the like the fiber of like morality and so like these are her like two nemesis like she hates these guys and so like my nemesis in the third book is the guy that wrote a book about the hymen yeah it's ridiculous have you ever been to new orleans yes have you been to the pharmacy museum there yet no i haven't it's amazing so it's the first pharmacy in New Orleans, but also maybe the United States. And it's just a, a medical history building. Like, maybe you mm. should go and maybe this will be a tax write-off trip. Um, but it was so fascinating because I was in New Orleans the weekend before last. And we went. And it was so much about, like, you know, there was a lot about contraception. There was a lot about how, like, when men started uh, inserting themselves into the birthing process, how yes. many women died because they just did it. They would, like do autopsies and then deliver a baby and then the woman would die of sepsis and they'd be like why it's like yep. oh because um so, so i'm not so surprised like men ruining obstetrician yet again so like yes like so you basically just said the plot to my third book. oh like, no my, i'm so sorry no, 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 I didn't I'm know. no i'm kidding so like part like the theme for my because like i said like i'm looking at these thematically so like it's yeah yeah very much about like how like midwives were basically pushed out of like women's mm -hmm. health and like most of the midwives in the US but also in, all over Latin America specifically Mexico is the place that I'm researching for this book were women of color were like either right. indigenous women or African women and they were basically pushed out um, of women's health care and then that's when you know mortality rates increased dr drastically and I firmly believe we would not be where we are today had we allowed midwives and women to be kind of like the, the caregivers for women and children's health. So that's a very central theme to Aurora's um, I love it. personality and her mission, which is like a secret mission that she's in in Paris. So I'm very happy that that came up. Oh, yeah, I I'm, I mean, I was already really excited for Aurora's book for selfish reasons because I loved the banter of her and Apollo. But now, adding this in, this is a book for me. I cannot wait. Um, but yeah, just to to wrap up, thanks so much for joining me. This has been such a blast. I'm so happy that we discovered our mutual love of Serenati and got to talk about Paris. It's going to be wonderful. Um we are meeting again in person again on May 29th. Yes. In Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the brewery. Yes, it's Three's Three's Brewing is the name Three's of the brewery. brewery. Yes. Yes. It's Three's Brewing. It's being 
Yeah, put on by Word Bookstores. Yes, and it's free, and so you can come. We'll talk about romance. We'll have beers. It'll be great. Yes, Joanna Shoup will be there. Which I'm Joanna. so excited to talk about the uh, with the both of you because I'm such a giant Joanna Shoup fan um, as well. So that's going to be really fun. And Island Princess Sarsa Scandal is out May 30th. You can order it now. In the meantime, you can read A Caribbean Heiress in Paris to get yourself real revved up and ready to go. Um, obviously, like, pre-orders are really important. So pre-order, I always say a pre-order is a present for your future self. And as a Leo, I love presents. Same. So why not do that for yourself? How can people um, find you, Adriana? I am mostly on Instagram uh, um, at Ladrana underscore Herrera. Or you can go to my website or my newsletter is a great way to hear my latest news. But mostly I'm like if social media is your thing, I'm mostly on Instagram. Nice. Um, I'm looking forward to the Anarchist Seamstress book, which will be coming up. Listen, now I'm like, oh, this is a great idea. I'm so happy that I could be here for the the beginning of it. Um, anyway, thanks again so much. I'm so I can't wait to see you in like a week and a yeah, half. Yes, same. I can't wait to see you and talk more about Sardinati in person. I this is one of the greatest discoveries that I've made this year. <laughs> All right. Well, um, to everybody out there, uh, thanks so much and happy reading. <laughs> <laughs>